This is an ABC podcast. <laughs> I've, oh, I've... that was you! I thought that was the man! <laughs> no, no, it's this ball that I had in my bra when I came in. Because who needs pockets? Miff took her top off because uh, it's hot in the studio and went, oh, hang on a minute, and pulled out a tiny tennis ball out of her bra. And a dog poo bag. No, okay, as long as it's got nothing in no, it. No, it's got nothing in it. on. Hello, Zan. Oh, I missed you. I missed you too. Hello, we're, Miff. We're in the studio as well. We're in the studio. We love hearing that big bass booty bang on intro it's in the exciting. studio. It feels like it's all new and fresh again yeah. when I hear that. I'm like, oh, because <laughs> when we record it, we just sing it to ourselves. Yes. And they put it in later. <laughs> Our beautiful uh, editors put it in later. Yeah. So that was nice. It felt good. Yeah. Surround sound bang on in your ears, your shortcut to music, art, life and stuff. And it's been a couple of weeks. We've had some adventures. I went to King Island for the first time ever. Did you have cheese? I did have (laughs) cheese, but you know what I did? I totally stuffed it. King Island Cheese Tastings, the actual dairy Mm. where they open up the shop, has got really weird opening hours and the only day I chose to go was the day that they were closed. Oh, you're joking. But the place I was staying, thankfully, had a cheese plate on arrival and they just had like... Two whole wheels plus a massive wedge of King Island smoky cheddar. So I've had enough cheese and King Island cheese to last me quite a while. Life is not worth living if there is no cheese. And I imagine King Island is is kind of a paradise if you believe that. And beef too. It's a big dairy place. Lots of really high-grade beef. So I've eaten enough beef to... To last me a while. There was a place actually. It's it's quite flat. Like it's different to mainland Tasmania. Jagged rocks and lots of shipwrecks around King Island before they realised how to navigate Bass Strait. Okay. But amazing landscape, but quite flat. So really good for grazing. But there was, we're driving around and there was this. lots of farms and particularly farms that you could go and visit and there was one called Meet Your Meat. Oh, like, no. No. <laughs> no. I don't want to do that. I don't want to ever meet my meat. Like I used to be a vegetarian and I'm not anymore and I eat meat and I know that others choose not to meet, eat meat and I understand the processes <laughs> that go through, you know, abattoirs and everything but I don't want to go and say day to something I'm meat. about to eat. No way. I don't want to meet my meat. No. Oh, and that paddock to plate business, like I just... I think it's an unnecessary Foreign term. Foreign to table. <laughs> it's an unnecessary term. Got to let that go. Yeah. What were you up to over the last oh, couple of weeks? Thanks for asking. Um, I've had a, I had a horrible weekend, Zan, <laughs> while you were away in King Island. You're still smiling, though. I know. I can only smile because it was it was rather traumatic. You know how I said I, I've loved the living semi-rural and the the wonderful way that it's changed my life. Mm. I walk I walk under the trees every day and I walk by the river and the sounds of the birds. Just lovely. The gum trees swaying. Mm. Something I didn't quite take into account when I moved to a semi rural area was the fact that my house is still on a septic system. Oh no. Yeah. And yeah, so the the septic bust. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I did a load of washing upstairs in the the washing machines upstairs up at the hill in a studio, and um, and apparently pushed air down down the pipes to an already overflowing septic system that I was not aware of because I've only been there for a little while. Oh, secret septic. Secret septic. (laughs) And it exploded in my ensuite. Oh Um, no! I was going to say. 
say, where did it happen? Raw was sewage. it external or internal? Internal no. raw sewage in my ensuite, which is in my bedroom. No. Um, horrific. It's possibly one of the most horrific things I've ever had to experience. And when you live alone, there is no one to help or to even whinge to. <laughs> and I was just there going, no, 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 make it stop. And it was coming up and out and just coming up and out. And it was it was horrific. So while you were swanning around beautiful King Island, <laughs> I was bucketing raw sewage out of the bathroom in my room. And I don't I don't think I'm ever going to recover, Zan. Miff's country I'm, adventures. I actually want to burn the house down. <laughs> it's an historic house, but I think I still want to burn it down. I've had enough. You'll never see it or smell it the same <laughs> way again. Oh, the smell. What's the state now? Uh, um, the state, it got fixed. I got someone to fix it to um, to pump out the system on a public holiday, which is incredible. Amazing. I couldn't believe it. Local knowledge. It was a local local chap who helped me out. Great. Um, horrific though. Horrific. Are I, you sleeping in that room at the moment? I am. I thought I was going <laughs> to die. Like I, I wasn't sure. I, I thought if this is how I die of fumes from the septic system, then I guess it's kind of apt. But no, it wasn't wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. Oh, my God. I know. This is a challenge for you. Mm. Life has thrown up a lot of challenges in the last it's few sure years. sure throw it up. <laughs> a lot of challenges. <laughs> and you've learnt things and you're moving on. Oh, my God. Oh, Let's talk about happier things. Uh, there is something to look forward to. I'm traumatised. <laughs> I need to talk about it over and over again. <laughs> I can't believe you saved that for this. When you told me I've had a traumatic weekend, I was like, what happened? You're like, oh, no, no, I'm saving it. <laughs> saving my shit explosion for yeah, bang on. Yeah. That's what the people want. It's what the people want. They want to know about my country adventures. <laughs> Semi-rural, I should say. Amazing. Um, but, yeah, we've got good news. Yes. Something very exciting happening this week. Yes. Uh, it, it was announced on social media that Spicks and Specs is coming back. Yay! This year we start filming, in fact, on Friday, and guess who is one of the first guests on the very first episode that we'll be screening later on in the year? Who? You! Yay! And even better, you're on my team. I'm so excited. So we're going to kick some ass. Yeah, we really had to campaign for that. We did not want to be pitted against one another. No. We've got to talk outfits. Do we, you know, we, we, I won't reveal who else is on the panels mm. with us, but the, I'm just going to assume that the person who's on the panel with us is going to be in between us. Do we sandwich them with a hot pink and an orange outfit? No, no, no. Do we go bang you'll on colours? Will be next to me. You'll Will be next I? to me. Yeah. Cause, Why? Because the, the special talented guest is always in the middle. And, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Oh, right. I, the, I thought you were talking about the other person. No, 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 no. And the comedian, not that they're speci- not special or talented, but the comedians are always on the end. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah. there's a. I don't know what the formula is. That's the is. and spec structure. I don't know what the formula is, but that's always how oh, it's Oh, I love been. that we're going to be sitting be, next to each other. They may be messing it up. But, yeah, that's the thing, you know. I think I, I sort of said... I really would love Zan to be on my team because usually we'd be on opposite teams. Yeah. I'm not sure why, but because I guess we, we're in the same field. Yeah. So we would be. But I think, you know, like we're always – women are always pitted against each other, women that work together. And I just said, I want Zan on my team and I want to kick some ass. I want to pit myself against Alan, <laughs> destroy yeah. him, take him down and his team. Believe me, it's impossible. I've tried. <laughs> For years I have tried, but I can't wait. I'm not going to lie. I am nervous. What are you going to wear? Um, I'll show you later, but there's going to be some razzle-dazzle to it. Great. I've got some sequins involved. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Oh, you'll fit right But in. like smart casual sequins, if there is such a thing. Smart casual. Yeah, smart casual sequins. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, what a world we inhabit. Anyway, yeah. that's coming up from, later from, this year. From, uh, from <laughs> septic, exploding septic systems to TV debuts.
This is the life that we lead, mm. up and down and always keeping it real on Bang On. Something that has also been kind of wild this week as we wrap the week that was is that Elon Musk has finally done it. He has bought Twitter, $61 billion Australian, $44 billion US. Spare change, really, when you're $250 billion in the bank. And it's wild, isn't it? I mean, this is the kind of purchase you make when money is no object. He's the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, mm. founder of Tesla, of SpaceX. He's set up his wealth by having a big win with PayPal. He's been making money for 20-odd years, mm. and now he's at the absolute peak. And Apparently he doesn't live in a house, though. He was where does saying. he live? Because they have too many stalkers and weirdos coming to find them, so they have to they, – they, he basically is a couch sleeper. Oh, so he just kind of keeps mobile. <laughs> just just knocks on his friends' doors if he has any. I'm not sure he does. Probably yeah. lots of people he pays. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, poor but, Elon. I <laughs> know. Oh, sorry, Elon. If that was He's a harsh judgment, time. but I think it probably is the case. Um, and yeah, apparently, just he says, I, "I'm a couch." What 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 do they call those people? Couch surfer. Couch surfer. Yeah. yeah. Those people. That was awful, wasn't it? Couch surfer. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, well, I have. I just offered one of my best friends my couch that to say when she's home from London. That was the nineties for me. Never forget the couch surfing. But this I has remember been... sleeping on a couch in a house for an extended period of time. I think I'd broken up with a boyfriend or something, and everyone was going to work that morning, and um, and and they would do it during the weekdays. But that was the time when bongs were very. Um, <laughs> were very in vogue and, and like these these people were having bongs before they were going off to work and I'm just asleep on the couch going, oh, no, it's too early. Breakfast of champions, Miff. <laughs> what a way to start the day. Uh, was that last last year, was no. it? <laughs> no, it was the 90s then. Oh, the 90s, <laughs> the 90s. The 90s. I can hear the harp and the uh, fade away exactly. to the montage of the 90s. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back onto Elon. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about this and certainly when it happened, when it went through earlier this week, you know, Twitter was alive with people commenting on, you know, wondering what would, what it would mean and sort of saying it's good while it lasted. He says that he wants, you know, Twitter to be a place that lives up to its potential as a platform of free speech. In a statement when he made the acquisition, he said, free speech is the bedrock of functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. Now, we don't know what he's going to do and a lot of people have been talking about whether he'll get Trump back on the platform. Trump's. This is how I realised that Trump started his own social media platform. What's it called? Tr- Truth Social, I oh, think. Oh, great. But I hadn't heard of it. <laughs> but he's going to stay there. That's his start-up. Um, but... You know, it'll be interesting to see what he does and what free speech means to someone of privilege because this is what we talk about a lot in Bang On. The people who are often arguing for free speech are the people Mm. who are going to least likely to be vilified in a public arena. They're the ones who don't cop it. Essentially, yeah. and they're like, "Why can't I say what I want to say?" Because you know, it, it's it, that's how it should be. And I think too, the fact that it's enshrined in their constitution in America, the First Amendment is the right of free speech. Uh, that I think it's so entrenched in American culture, the belief that you can say what you want, yeah, regardless of who it affects. But the thing is, that doesn't exist online. You can't do that online. There are different laws. Speech and online are two very different things. Yeah. So already there are there are things in place to stop things like hate speech, uh, general lies, uh, fake news, that kind of thing. So 
it seems a bit naive to me to say it's the town square. Like that feels like talking about the internet in the nineties. Speaking of the nineties, it does. It's, it's just which so, is what it felt like at the start. It, it did. felt like a community, but it's so but far it's gone not. from that. And that's also a town and we know square. how dangerous that kind of mentality is. Oh, just let everyone be who they are and say what they want to say. It's like actually, no, you've got to put in some rules because a lot of people are a bit ordinary and do some pretty ordinary things. It's also apples and oranges. The way that you interact with someone online is completely different to the way you interact with someone face-to-face. You know, a town square is a place where you face physically other Mm. people. You see their reactions. You're accountable for your own actions. You can't just drop a bomb and leave. And particularly with social media, you know, it's so faceless. Mm. There's all kinds of, you know, accounts being set up that can be completely blank. You know, it can be fake, but also people can hide behind, you know, who they actually really are. And the feelings and context as well is always warped. You can very rarely read tone on Twitter. Mm. People say and do awful things or they say and do really innocuous things and everyone reads it in a different way because you can't get that tone. Like I've been a part of Twitter since 2009, which whenever I look at that, I'm like, whoa, that's a long time. Mm. And it can be a brilliant and amazing community and a great place to find information. I still use it whenever I'm researching artists or someone that I'm interviewing because it's very up-to-date in terms of like what's happening in the now. And, you know, from a personal perspective, it helps me, you know, share what I'm doing with people. It helps me promote what I'm doing and share the stories that I'm telling and also get new stories. Like I've slid into people's Mm. DMs before to get, you know, interviews and stuff like that. But it also is a place where it's highly combative. I don't. I have, in particularly during the pandemic, I really stopped with the spicy tweets and just most of what I say on Twitter, and you can see this if you go through my feed, I just kind of keep it positive. And I'm mm. not saying that in a really naive, everything's great way, but I just find that there's so many things that happen on Twitter that are like, you're coming here to complain, it's fine, but literally no one wants to hear your complaints because mm. everyone's got their complaints. And then also people will be complaining about, well, your complaint isn't as important as my complaint or get back in your box. Yeah. It just becomes this. Or what about this complaint over here? Why haven't you dealt with this? <laughs> the what aboutism of Twitter is the one that just does my absolute nutty. It's just so combative. So it's not, for me, it's not a space where you can explore, um, have a dialogue. And that's the cornerstone of what, you know, truly free speech should be. It should be about discussing ideas, inviting people into your perspective. And I just don't think Twitter is the space for that. Yeah. And it hasn't been for a very, very long time, if ever. Mm. So sort of putting it up as this, you know, bastion oh. of uh, town square freedom of speech is a really flawed argument. It really is. And and Musk is the ultimate troll too. He, he really is. He believes that it can be that space because he is the king of it in that space. He yeah. is. He is the kind of poster boy for troll culture. Think about the things that he's done in the past. Even this week when he posted the Bill Gates photo of Bill Gates looking a little bit portly around the belly, a little bit like me right now, and an emoji of a pregnant woman. Not saying I'm pregnant, it's just the look, it's the gut hanging out a little bit. And he wrote, in case you need to lose a boner fast. I mean, that is just putting in a smoke bomb and and walking away. He causes trouble and trouble is good for his market. Trouble is good for his brand. Trouble gets news, gets clicks. He knows that. And, and he becomes and, a hero to people who have the same sort of infantile exactly. sense of humour. And there's more that he's done too. Don't forget when he called the British cave diver, one of them who was quite a hero at the time mm. and still is, he called him a pedo. Yeah. And that was incredibly distressing. Like that's the kind of 
behaviour that he shows on the platform, which makes me worry about the future of the platform. And also I think the idea of it being in control of yet another one voice in the same way that Facebook is. Another tech billionaire. Yeah, it, it's... It is about people who are largely not regulated, people yeah. who operate, you know, operate outside of any government regulations. It is about controlling the narrative, yeah. and I think that is something we need to be very, very concerned about. However, everyone's saying they're never going to use Twitter again this week. Like it's like no, you're just not. like you're, you're all s- moving to New Zealand yeah. after the results yeah. of the election. I see you. We'll see I call you your bullshit. You'll all still be there because we're all addicted AF. Now, can I just bring your attention to something that I didn't realise you knew about? And before we move on from Elon Musk, because I feel like we've had our feel of Elon. Mm. I just realised we didn't talk about this moment that happened about a month ago where it was revealed that Grimes, who was up until relatively recently dating Elon Musk, shares a son with Elon, Mm. had had a secret second child with Elon. How did we not talk about this? (laughs) It's been a kind of crazy month, but this was wild. It was wild. And I read the article. It was a Vanity Fair article. And it was bonkers because... It hadn't been announced, but everybody knew, and the baby was crying upstairs. An infant, a newborn, was crying upstairs during the interview. Can I just share the moment that the Vanity Fair journalist realises that Grimes has a secret child? (laughs) He's interviewing her uh, about uh, her art, what she's been up to lately, and he says, I hear what sounds vaguely like a lone cry from an infant upstairs. I think I notice Grimes wince, but I say nothing and move on. Could be anything. Another few minutes pass, just as I'm about to bring up one of Book One's highlights, a soon-to-be ubiquitous banger called Sci-Fi that she co-wrote with The Weeknd and his longtime producer, I hear it again. This time, it's multiple cries, and it's unmistakable. I've got two kids. That's a baby. And I can tell by the frozen look on my host's face that she's heard it too. So I brace myself to ask the strangest question of my career. Do you have another baby in your life, Grimes? And she reveals and says, I can't believe, I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) She's invited a journalist to her house. A baby's crying. She clearly has a much older child, a toddler. It's not a baby. And that's how we discover that Grimes and Elon Musk have had a second child together. Mm. So good on them. Congratulations. (laughs) Um, That's, yeah. That was the highlight of my life four weeks ago. I couldn't believe you didn't share that. So sorry. Onwards to other things Mm. in this pandemic world, this strange pandemic world. You shared a fantastic piece to me that I have many questions about. The Handshake is Dead by Paul McGuinness, arguing for the rise of the fist bump. I'm here for it. Paul McGuinness has written, just it's just a little think piece, nothing too hard to read. It'll be in the show notes if you'd like to, talking about how the fist bump came to promonition or rose to rose to, to prominence with Barack Obama, who used to do it a bit. And I imagine when you're in a public role, you don't really want to be touching the filthy hands of everybody. <laughs> Not to say that that's a gross thing. The filthy thing, hands of world leaders. Like, I think we know how gross human beings are now, now that we've been... 100%. We've been thinking about and, and, and really focusing on germ spreading in the last two years. I don't want to really touch anyone's hands anymore. Neither. Unless I really like them. Um, And also people are gross. They put them in funny places and then they don't (laughs) wash their hands. I think we found that out as well. And so the fist bump, I think, is a a good thing. The elbow tap is a good thing, but the handshake is coming back. And I didn't know that the handshake was originally used purely for, uh, well, it was actually a way to see if somebody was trustworthy, that they weren't hiding a gun. 
really? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why you shake that's the hand. That's the birth of the handshake. And, and you look in the eye. I love that. Um, so there's a reason for the handshake. I don't think we need that so much anymore. So maybe it is time for the handshake. But it is coming back. And I think is. that, you know, what I've noticed it so extremely lately is because we're watching so much uh, campaign meeting and greeting at the mm. moment that's dominating the news. And everywhere I'm seeing every politician, people have been on the front line of dealing with the pandemic, you know, as leaders in the last yep. two years, everyone's shaking the hand. And I know that in yeah. terms of public connection, if you don't shake your hand, you might be considered a weirdo or whatever. But it's like, do we just, do we fall back in Gloves. Gloves. Fashion. Gloves. But why, are we, why are we doing it knowing what we know? That's what I'm kind of curious about because mm. I see that happening. I'm like, is it? do we have a sort of necessary amnesia, which I've sort of talked about before in this, yeah. the human need to be resilient and move on and go and for us to, you know, in, in places that have been locked down for long periods like we were, you kind of, some of it almost just gets blocked out of your brain because you just need to move on for your own mental health. So you forget about all the little things that were well, so consuming. We've shown it in, in COVID, haven't we? Going out, hugging. Yeah. So do we want to will back normality? Is that part of it as well? Like, is it nostalgia for the before times? I'm really curious about the the handshake coming back because I love love all the things that came out of, um, you know, the greetings. And I think the elbow bump is a little bit naff, but I love the, um, uh, it's a very Japanese greeting to see someone and basically put your hand just on on your heart Mm. and, you know, bow or just like put your hand on your heart as though like, you know, it's a a pleasure to meet you. And that's just something that's all you. There's no transference of germs or or body contact, but there's still a respect and a a connection there. I just, um, I'm curious about that. That, that. One of the things that Paul says towards the end of this article is something that really resonated. He said, I'm one of the people who worry that the disaster this country went through in the past two years and the collective trauma we all shared are things that may easily be buried. I feel that we won't take time to reflect on what happened and retain those things we learned for the better from that period. A greater ability to acknowledge what people have in common was, I believe, one of these things, which is why, at least for now, my quest for bumping continues. I think we are forgetting some of the things that we learned and we're going back to the old ways. Mm. We've learned a lot and we've changed a lot, but there's things where we're slipping back and I'm like, come on, we just, we saw how we could do it better and differently. Also, the handshake feels very patriarchal to me too. It's it's a very asserting dominance manoeuvre. Yeah. It's it's very patriarchal. It's very, you know, the stronger the handshake, the stronger the man, that kind of thing, you know, look you in the eye and focus. Uh, Yeah. We've moved on from that. Too. Figure out if you're a top or a bottom when you handshake that old that old thing. You know, you know what I mean. Like when someone comes in and they like come in sort of like with the you hand just made on the, the handshake top. sexual. Too. No, you know what I mean. Like you I just like that. basically dominate someone with a handshake. That yeah. is the ultimate power play. Yeah. What a game. Yeah. It's oh, the 1980s. Right. We're on Wall Street. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on, Gordon Gecko. <laughs> hey, real quick. Bang on, bang back reminder. A community notice board announcement for the mm. Bang Fam. Um, you might have seen, but in case you missed it, because sometimes people do get in contact and they say, oh, my God, I didn't realise that was back. Thank you for letting me know. Better Call Saul, one of my favourite shows, which is into its final season, has returned. Still haven't watched the precursor Stan. and haven't watched any Better Call Saul, but everyone says how great it is. Well, Better Call Saul is the precursor. Well, that's and true. then Breaking Bad Breaking is the Bad. like thing. Yeah. but. Oh, my God, I'd forgotten how stressful it is to watch. So stressful. See, Not know, as stressful I'm as Breaking about, Bad. I'm thinking about before times too. I, I don't know if I can do that anymore. 
It is amazing, though. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is a very stressful show. But on a more kind of fun tip, Russian Doll oh, is back too, which we all. banged on about at the time. And oh my God, I forgot how much I missed her amazing she's East Coast she, accent. Yeah. <laughs> she's so good. I love her. She's so good. And that's just come back to Netflix. So if you need a little um, bang on tip, a couple of great series. And Hacks is coming back in a couple of weeks too, which we loved. Good times. Good times. Good times. A sad death this week, though, which um, I saw quite a few people talking about, and there's some beautiful reflections on what is, um, I guess, a kind of complicated history too. Cynthia yeah. Plastercaster has died. That's right, Cynthia Plastercaster. If you've never heard of her, you probably have heard of her exploits, which was in the 70s, the 1970s. She was one of those famed groupies that travelled around with musicians. Uh, it was considered a bit of a career. What was the movie? Almost Famous. Almost Famous. So it, I guess you could the, – the figure of Cynthia Plastercaster could be – one of one of the women in that movie, um, in that they travelled around, they lived the life. But Cynthia did something different. She took it one step further. The people she was into, she also asked if she could cast them in plaster, their erect members, uh, and then uh, she would have these as a memento of her of her time with them. So little souvenir, yeah, little souvenir. Um, so what she did, in a way, in in a creative way, was to elevate her her status as a groupie in that she made it worthy of I guess some people would consider it a, a, of, of an art form mm. um, and that differentiated her too in that time when I think women didn't have as much agency mm. when it came to uh, how they were seen how they were portrayed how they were talked about so in a way it was her way of taking control of a situation and saying look it's it's more than this and she was very notorious as well I mean people wanted to be cast uh, by her kiss were notoriously desperate to get cast. They wrote a song <laughs> and she said, nah. So in a way she was Too also, thirsty, Kiss. Yeah, too thirsty. And in a way she was also – and Gene Simmons, I mean, as if he doesn't want to be cast. I yeah. mean, I've, we've all seen that that video he made. <laughs> Have we? Yes. Well, I haven't seen that video that we made. So tell me he's more about the video shy. he made. He's not shy. All I can say is he, left, he leaves his socks on, which was not great. <laughs> um, and so I'm sure he wanted to be cast, but they had a song called Plaster Caster. But in a way, what she was doing by, by choosing who she cast at the time, she was also a tastemaker mm. in that she was saying, I choose you mm. and I therefore shall um, capture your penis. Your member. Your member for, uh, for, for for history, for anyone who wants to know down the track. Her first celebrity client was, of course, Jimi Hendrix. Mm. Um and yes, he was a fabulous uh, first client. So yeah, it's interesting. Apparently, Frank Zappa held on to them for years, and she had to fight back after he died to get them back. That whole part of the story, when you shared this obit with me, was so strange that he basically she stored them in his vault because someone had tried to break in, mm. and he was like, put them somewhere safely, and then he just didn't return yeah. them. What a piece of shit! Yeah, it seems a bit mean, doesn't and it? And why do you want everybody's strange penises? as well? She also flipped it. They in were worth the, a lot of money. Worth a lot of money. Yeah. Because she lived it in the 2000s too where she cast women's breasts. She cast right. Karen O from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, among other people, and um, and I guess kind of spoke to um, that more uh, the gender democratisation of, of what she was doing. But a fascinating life. And when you think about figures in history, there really was no one else like her, but also there was no other time like the time she was living in that mm. that could have happened. That couldn't have happened today. It's one of those moments in time, exactly. wasn't it? I mean, feminists have not looked on... Cynthia's work as, as, or some feminists, I should say, on Cynthia's work as, as a great thing or a, a 
terribly empowered thing. But in a way, like, like I said, she was taking control of a situation where women were not deemed to be particularly of value, mm. uh, especially in that groupy scene. Yeah. So in a way, it's taking back control in the only way that she knew how at that time, but it absolutely wouldn't happen today. Uh, but it is interesting, Ian Snavonius from The Makeup, who's um, I just adore him, he made an interesting point in that straight men don't look at anybody else's penises except their own, usually, I mean, other than probably in porn. But it's it's the last great taboo. So in a way, what she was doing was breaking down one of those last great taboos. Yeah. And I think that's that's interesting. It's, it's definitely of its time, but... Um, it, it certainly tackled some things that perhaps weren't being spoken about back then. It was a great obit and it shared a lot of her story that I didn't know about. So I'll put that in the show notes if you want to read about Cynthia Plastercaster. If she's someone you've heard of before and you don't really know her story, it was a fantastic obit. Yeah, and apparently she was a hoot too. Lots yeah, of people bet. just loved her. So, you know, that's how you want to leave this earth, isn't it? 100%. What are you banging on about this week? Oh, my God. It's the beauty. My sewage? Be- <laughs> <laughs> Just your, oh, my God. I'm like, she's still scarred. My new septic tank. My new septic tank. No, um, I watched possibly the cutest and most heartwarming television show I've watched in years. Ooh. It's the best. It's so beautiful. And, and at a time when LGBTQ people are being maligned politically, especially around election time here in Australia, but this is happening all over the world, in the UK as well, in America, everywhere. It's so nice to see a show about LGBTQI kids. It's so nice to see a show about them, for them, Mm. and it's so beautifully written. It's called Heartstopper. It's on Netflix and it's based on a graphic novel of the same name, so there's elements of that graphic novel Mm. technique. So when the two characters are falling in love, you often see like little leaves and flowers flying around their heads and it's just beautiful. But it's... It's so beautifully told. Olivia Coleman is the mum. Oh, amazing. The very caring mum um, who is quite understanding. And while it shows the difficulties of falling in love when you're gay or bisexual or queer, but it, it doesn't feel like a show that's just about that trauma. It's it's just about falling in love mm. as well, which is the story that everybody deserves. About growing up, like coming of age. Yeah, and it's it's beautiful. Like, like you know, the fact that the main character is gay is not is not the main focus, you know. Mm. Like it's it's the kind of story that anyone growing up, when we were growing up, who may have thought that they were different needed to see. Yeah. And uh, it's just so beautiful. It's such a celebration of love. And, oh, my God, after the septic system, I needed it. So, <laughs> Heartstopper? Heartstopper On is Netflix. what it's called. And it's, it's, for, it's for teens, but I do feel like it's, it's also made for anyone who, who wanted this when they were growing up too. Yeah, great. It's beautiful. All right, that's an awesome bang on. I'm going to go and check that out. Now, I can't wait for you to bang on about what you're going to bang on about. I know because I, I watched your Instagram over your little break, and I haven't banged on about this, so I've got much to discuss. Have you read it? Yeah. Oh, my God, I didn't realise you'd read it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm banging on about Jonathan Franzen's new book. 24 hours on the audiobooks, Anne. Crossroads. (laughs) Close to 600 pages, 24 hours if you're listening to it. It is a big, big book. And I just found out recently after posting on my Instagram, as I do often when I read a book, I share a little Zan's Book Club post, um, it's the first in a trilogy, trilogy. so that explains the ending to me a whole lot more. But if you haven't heard much about this book, firstly, I would say I went into it not knowing anything because um, Jeffy, my partner, loved it and he was like, don't even read the back, just yeah. go in cold. 
So if you don't want to hear about it and you want to go in cold like me, just skip forward at three minutes right now to the end of Bang On. If you do, these are the basics. I won't give any spoilers. It's the Hildebrandt family who are made up of a pretty progressive, like socially progressive pastor, his wife, their kids, and also this youth group called Crossroads in the 1970s. And each chapter of this massive book is written from a different perspective, and it kind of goes around and around between these different perspectives, all from the family members, so the brothers, sisters, and parents, um, as this narrative progresses and they're kind of, let's just say their real selves are revealed and some things really unravel. Mm. And they are such brilliantly drawn characters. I was just in it from the get-go. It was interesting, someone else on my Instagram commented that they couldn't get into it because they didn't like the characters. And I thought that was interesting because... kind of the point, isn't it? Yeah, and for me, you don't. I don't have to like a book or get into a book if I don't like the characters. I think that sometimes, and for this book as well, you see things in characters that are awful and uncomfortable, but sometimes they're like that because they're part of your behaviour as well yeah. and you see yourself. Well, you can relate. Relating is different to liking. And Flawed characters are, are, are wonderful things to read too. 100%. And this has obviously been a touchstone of most great television of the last 15, 20 years, the, you know, the antihero, the flawed character. But this is just like his ability to explore characters is it just reminded me, and I know that he's had some some up and downs in his career, but it just reminded me of what a what did an incredible can- character writer he is. Did he get cancelled in the last couple of years? Have Franzen? People, have people turned on Franzen? I got the vibe that everyone's turned on him, but now he's back. His book, Purity, <laughs> didn't do very well. No. Freedom, I think, did well. Freedom was great. Purity didn't do too well. But did you enjoy it as well? Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. It, it was, it's quite the quite the drama as well. Uh, the, the characters are so beautifully drawn, but the storyline is, is really interesting as well. Yeah. And I didn't think I'd find a book about people within a Christian religion in the 70s would be of any interest to me whatsoever. Mm. I was completely surprised by that. There's so much going on. And there's the backstory. Mm. Marion. Oh, my God. Marion. Marion is incredible. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. So if you're looking for a great read and if you're scared, if you've seen it in the bookshops or you've looked at it, it on thick. the 24 hours. Don't take it on a plane. You'll whip through it. <laughs> it'll, it'll, Quite hard to read when you're in bed because it's like so heavy. <laughs> it'll go over your luggage mount if you take that Oh, my God, on seriously, I had it on my carry-on and I was over the seven kilos. I'm like, bloody Franzen. Um, but I loved it. So amazing. And, um, yeah, I'll put links to it in the show notes. I loved it. I'm so excited you read it too mm. and you loved it too. So, so good. Uh, what a treat. I know. We're going to be coming to you. A little bit earlier next week as well because um, lots of adventures happening, but we'll be landing in your feeds a little bit earlier to make up for lost time. Oh, yeah. I'm off to Eurovision next week. Oh, my God. That's next week. Yeah, that's Wednesday. That's why we're doing it early. I'm flying out. Okay. So Eurovision preview coming your way. I need to find out your outfits. Need to get some razzle-dazzle teasers. I'm wearing something that will not act, you know, like they talk about the term fashion stopping traffic. (laughs) This will actually stop traffic because of the (laughs) colour. All right. There it is. More of that next week. Um, I'll see you tomorrow on Set of Spicks and Specs, though. I'm so excited. So excited. More razzle-dazzle. All right. I'll see you soon. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.